Hello, welcome to Temple Talk. Before we begin, I need to mention a few things. Firstly, I am not an official representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor am I sponsored by them. I'm doing this on my own time and on my own dime. Secondly, every resource I use to create each episode are all publicly available material approved by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I will always include links in each episode description. Lastly, if you'd like to learn more about our beliefs regarding the temple and all things, I will also include a link to the website churchofjesuschrist.org in the episode description. Thanks for tuning in, and now for the episode. Hello, welcome to Temple Talk. My name is Camille. I will be your Temple Talker today. And I have a very special guest today, the one and only Jack Johnson. Hey, Jack. Hi. Um, He's not the guitar player. The... Huh? <laughs> you're not the guitar player, yeah, but you're better than player. him, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I served in both in the United States and in Mexico for a little while. How did you like that there? How was Mexico? I really liked it there. I mean, it was in Mexico City, so it was, you know, a big city. It's kind of intimidating for me personally, but it was good. It was a really good experience. That's really awesome. What do you miss most about your mission? Probably the people. I'd have to say, yeah, the people. Yeah. <laughs> Easily the people that I got to meet and work with. They, they were just great. I hear that a lot, that the people you serve, you come to love them really deeply. So mostly it's the people. Did you get eat anything very exotic? I don't know. Mexico City has a lot of exotic foods. It was generally, it wasn't too exotic, but I did have a brain taco. It's like a taco made out of cow brain. A brain taco. I love yeah, it. I, I didn't like it very much. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like something you get diagnosed with at the doctor, like brain taco. That's amazing. Um very good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me, Jack. Yeah, I have terrible jokes. So that happens in every podcast episode. Anyone who's listened to my previous episodes will know my jokes are terrible, but someone's got to do this podcast, right? So you're stuck yeah. with me. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So today we are going to be talking about the restoration of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This will be the final episode of season one which includes background information about the church's beliefs and the things that we hold to be truths. And that will help build on that foundation for when we talk about temples in later seasons. So really excited to get going on this. And I thought the best place to start is talking about prophets, um, the need for prophets and why we have them. Would you, do you have anything you'd like to say, Jack, about prophets in general? Uh, yeah. So we all are familiar with some prophets. We've all heard stories, at least in passing, of, say, Noah or Moses or, or Jesus or, well, many different prophets. Yeah, there's and yes, Abraham's big one, too. That's usually, those are the ones people usually remember. Yeah, but I think what we need to remember is what a prophet is, because we can kind of lose that, or that isn't always clear. Mm -hmm. So, a prophet is essentially someone who has direct revelation or guidance from God. So this person, this prophet, hears guidance from God. They receive direction from him. 
and learn about God and his ways, then it is then the prophet's responsibility to share that with the people around them, if they like it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't so, always go well for the prophets that, that preach as is seen throughout many Bible stories, Old Testament, New Testament, Book of Mormon. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, it does not. But it's something they have the responsibility of doing. They're referred to in the Old Testament as being kind of uh, compared to watchmen. Mm. So, like, say you have like a city back in, say, ancient times. They have people who are kind of guards who are up in the towers on the outsides of the city who are out looking around just to make sure that everything is safe. There's no armies incoming. There's nothing dangerous. And prophets are compared to them because the prophets have a better perspective. They have this higher perspective given to them from God, similar to how a watchman is up on a tower. And it is their responsibility to help the people, right? Mm -hmm. Help the people around them, to warn them, to give them direction, and to point them towards Jesus Christ. I really like that. We've been doing a family scripture study of the Old Testament a lot this year, and I thought the, the need for prophets really shows the love that God has for all of his children, that he provides prophets as a way of them receiving revelation, of teaching repentance. And especially in the Old Testament, man, the people in Jerusalem were given so many chance to repent, uh, you know, with Jeremiah and Habakkuk and all these amazing prophets, Nehemiah, that were just teaching repentance. And before Jerusalem was sieged upon and destroyed, I think the people had every opportunity because that was a loving Heavenly Father telling them, you need to repent or these things will happen, which they did. And then, you know, after they returned to Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple was a big priority because that was God's love again of showing the people how they could spiritually prepare for the things ahead, I guess I would say. We do know that the prophets are also set apart given the priesthood power and authority. We believe in the church that people are able to receive personal revelation from the Lord about themselves, but prophets and apostles are set apart to receive revelation for the church as guided by Heavenly Father. Does that sound, does that sound pretty good to you? Did I say that right? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, as we've seen throughout the Bible, people eventually use their agency, their ability to choose to reject the gospel and fall into apostasy. Apostasy is a word that describes a period of time where the priesthood authority is not on the earth because there's so much wickedness. The people have cast out the prophets from their lives and um, don't have that spiritual knowledge. Do you have any thoughts that you want to say about that, Jack? Yeah. Mm-hmm. God wants us to really have the best opportunity we can to accept the gospel, to accept Jesus Christ so we can live happy lives, so that we can become more like Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I really like that. For his own reasons, he sends the prophets so that we can learn who Jesus Christ is. But if we're not willing to accept that message, if the people aren't prepared for that, there's these times of apostasy where he takes it away and he prepares the world to receive it again, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't want the people to, you know, just completely write off this idea of Jesus Christ. So he's willing to remove this direct guidance for a while just to prepare the world with another prophet in some future time. Mm-hmm. And this happened 
in several instances we could read about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. For example, the time between the sieging of Jerusalem and the return of the Jews. Eventually, there was a time when prophets were rejected fully and God took away this direct revelation that's necessary for us to completely understand the gospel Mm -hmm. and to be able to apply it to our lives. And he restored it through Jesus Christ. That's just one example of this happening. And this has been a cycle that's been happening since the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. We read in the in the scriptures that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this pattern of prophets and leading up to Christ, fulfilling the law of Moses, and then establishing a pattern of ordinances and covenants, which will come up in the temple uh, talks that we have in season two, are still applicable nowadays. We still have a need for prophet and apostles that are acting righteously with the priesthood authority and revelation from the Lord to guide his church. And that's something that I think is very impressive that in our Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have a prophet and the apostles called in the same format set by Christ in his time. There were a few things that Christ established a pattern of, including baptism by immersion. He was a type of, even though Christ was perfect and did not need to be baptized for remission of his sins, he allowed himself to do that to show others the way of what we should be doing. He called 12 apostles and he used the priesthood authority. We do talk about in the New Testament how he conferred priesthood authority on all of his apostles and commanded them to go out and teach the people. Do you have any thoughts about that, Jack? Yeah. So the source of this authority, we believe all comes back to Jesus Christ and that this is necessary for us to make covenants, right? Mm -hmm. So an example of a covenant is baptism, as was mentioned, and this is just sort of an agreement with God. We do sort of an outward practice that's meant to symbolize sort of a commitment we're making with God, just kind of a two-way commitment we're making with God that we'll try to follow Jesus Christ in certain ways and that in return, God will do this to bless us and to help us to return to him. And these covenants are necessary for us to realize God's purposes with us in this life and uh, after this life in the eternities. And it's necessary that this authority can exist so that these covenants can be done correctly, that they can mean the right things. So we're not just essentially making agreements that are one-sided, right? That this can be both ways, mm-hmm. that it can be the ways and the covenants that uh, God has outlined. I really like that. You have really good thoughts. You're very wise. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Um, And so, after the ministry of Jesus Christ, after his death, wicked people persecuted the apostles, church members, um, and with the death of the apostles, priesthood keys and the presiding priesthood authority were taken from the earth, as Jack mentioned. The apostles had kept the doctrine of the gospel pure and maintained for the church members to better understand. Without the apostles, over time, the doctrine was corrupted and changes were made in church organization priesthood ordinances, such as baptism, conferring the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's difficult when you don't have the source material to work with that a lot of people started relying on human wisdom to interpret the scriptures and principles that Jesus Christ taught. And in that, a lot of false ideas were taught as truth. We refer to this apostasy as the Dark Ages. 
where there were a lot of different churches. There were a lot of different um, branches of the churches, all trying to understand the the ideals that the Savior taught. And not necessarily that all the leaders were corrupt in any way, shape, or form. It was their best trying to understand, relying on human wisdom to interpret these scriptures. They had lost that really important factor, which was the priesthood authority and the prophets who were able to teach the people uh, the things about revelation and the things of God. And so this led to the emergence of many churches. And there have been incredible heroes well, there's Martin Luther, and there's, is it John Tyndale? Is that right? Tin, Tinsdale? Um, William Tyndale, I think. Oh, so close. Think and then John Whitecliffe? That's the one I'm getting. Yep, I get their I first those are, up. <laughs> Yeah. They're absolute heroes in history that tried to bring the scriptures back to the people. It really became a time where only the select leaders were allowed to even read the scriptures and if they were correct, they could add anything they want and teach that as doctrine. And so it was a time of confusion and a time of a lot of divergence of a lot of the beliefs and the teachings that Jesus Christ taught. And so it led to a lot of spiritual darkness, a lot of truth-seeking men and women that protested against current religious practices. They had recognized that a lot of the doctrine had been changed or lost, but it was really hard I don't know, it was hard to to come back and learn the truth. And so they tried to reform teachings and practices that they believed have been changed. Their efforts led to a lot of the organization of Protestant churches, Reformation churches, Lutheran, all of these branches of Christianity, as they were trying to, during this time of apostasy, discover the truth um, and to find the restoration of the gospel, which was actually foretold by the Savior um, that the people would be scattered to and fro in the wind. Do you know any good scriptures of the Savior for telling that? I forgot to check. <laughs> um, I know there's one in Amos. Let me grab it real quick. This is why missionaries are amazing. They know the scriptures really well. <laughs> and I have always been amazed at that ability. Let me find it real quick. Yeah, no, you're fine. I put you on the spot. That was my bad. Oh, you're good. But yeah, a lot of Reformation efforts resulted in an emphasis on religious freedom, and that would open the way for the final restoration, which, if you think about it, America was founded on the idea of religious freedom. People were questioning leaders' choices, and especially Great Britain, that a leader could choose a universal, or I guess a national religion, whether you agreed with it or not, and that was America was founded on the idea of freedoms which is the perfect setting for the restoration of the church, that people were allowed to believe what they believed um, within a nation. Did you find it? I'm just about there, I yeah. think. I can See. stall a little longer. It's fine. Um, yeah. I do want to emphasize that people of other churches were absolutely believing sincerely these doctrines and worshipped according to the light that they possessed because they knew not where to find the truth. And so... I believe all religions have pieces of truth. It's the story of restoration that luckily through Joseph Smith, as we'll discuss that a lot of the doctrines were able to be restored because of a prophet again on the earth and the apostles. And we'll get into all that good stuff. Okay. I think I've found it here. Sweet. This, this scripture is in Amos chapter eight, verse 11. I may read a little more than that. 
It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Thank you for sharing that. And again, as I mentioned, we believe there have been many righteous individuals that have been led by personal revelation. I personally think our inspired leaders, our forefathers of George Washington, and some people were genuinely guided by the Spirit of the Lord to do so many righteous things. I think there have been a lot of people who in that time were still able to receive revelation because of their personal righteousness. It just was that someone couldn't be a prophet and receive revelation for the church, if that makes sense. Do you have any thoughts you want to share on that? Uh, Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know if this is the right analogy I'm looking for, but kind of like a game of, no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say, uh, hold on. (laughs) You're totally fine. I'm trying to guess all the games that you could possibly mention. Clue, Monopoly. I don't think it's a game I'm looking for. I was thinking. Dang it. (laughs) Let's see. It's like, this is my time to shine my hair, my knowledge of obscure games. (laughs) Yeah. But if we ever have a question about, let's say somebody says something, they write a book and they have say all these different principles and all these different things. Right. Mm -hmm. And we read the book. We're like, okay, but I'm not exactly sure how to implement this. I'm not exactly sure how to interpret all of this. Now, the easiest way to get an answer to that, if it's possible, is for us to go and ask the author or to go ask whoever it is that said whatever it is we're confused about. And if they're not there, then, well, things are left up a lot to interpretation. People can come up with their own ideas, their own interpretations of what, well, what they were meaning, really. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's a, it's a situation where lots of good people were looking for the truth. I'd say it still applies today that there's many people who are looking for the truth in their own lives. They're looking for what is true, what it is that God wants for them. What it all comes down to is that the way to find out and to be sure about it is to go to the source of, well, the correct information, to go to God. I really like that. Something I love about a lot of the conference talks that we receive from our prophet and the apostles and the leaders of the church, men and women, is encouraging us to pray about it, to find out for ourselves, to receive our own witness. They don't ask for blind belief. They ask for knowing faith. I guess that's the way I'd say that. I also like that analogy because anyone who's been in an English class and has to discuss, oh, all the stuff that all the authors probably meant. I We had an hour Socratic seminar on one chapter an author wrote, William Faulkner, my mother is a fish, was the entire chapter. And we spent an hour on that. And I was like, I think he's just bored, honestly. But anyone who's had to be through an English class and had to try to guess the interpretation knows how this feels, this feeling of not knowing <laughs> and being frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> First. Yeah, that's a better uh, <laughs> analogy. <laughs> no, I thought yours, yours was perfect. I was just building off of that. No, thank you. I really appreciate all your thoughts there. So it's kind of amazing. I I am a huge fan of the Saints book. Have you had the chance to read any of the Saints books? Um, I have been able to read the first one. Oh, so good. The third one is my favorite. Just a heads up. It's amazing. But I highly recommend reading all three Saints books for anyone who's listening. It is so uplifting. I 
just started listening to it because I thought, oh, this is such a big book. I don't have time to read such a thick book. But I thought, I have five minutes while I get ready for work every morning. I'll listen to it. And there were times that I was in the parking lot at work running a little late because I just wanted to know what was going to happen next. I was really on the edge of my seat for most of it. And the first volume of The Saints, um, which is a compiled record of the church history, it actually starts with a volcano eruption in an Indonesia island of Sumbawa. And it talked about how this whole mountain, this volcano exploded. Plumes shot skyward. There was a liquid fire flowing down the mountainside. And for weeks, this mountain, this volcano of Tambora, rained cinders, stones, and fire. And the effects of this one volcano rippled across the globe. And I remember when I first was listening to this in the Saints book, I was like, how is it? What? Why, why did we start with a volcano eruption? I don't <laughs> see how this is going to tie into the church. But it talked about how the eruption caused temperature in, temperatures in India to drop. There were a lot of crops destroyed, especially in Chinese valleys, uh, where they had normally a mild climate. There was flooding rains. This this volcano changed so many things. And I'm going to quote from the Saints book here. In France and Britain, citizens fell to their knees, fearful the terrible calamities foretold in the Bible were upon them. In North America, ministers preached that God was punishing wayward Christians and that they were sounded warnings to stoke religious feelings. Across the land, people flocked to churches and revival meetings, anxious to know how they could be saved from the coming destruction, which is really fascinating. That is a very modern story of a biblical story of a natural disaster bringing people to a remembrance of their God and coming to him for help. And so the scene is set. These people in the North Americas have religious freedom. And there's a time period where there's a lot of reformations and a lot of revival of spiritual matters in the early 1800s. And I think it's just so fascinating to connect it to something that happened all the way across the world. But to me, it really shows that God is aware of everything, of all the situations. And things that occur are things that has been planned by him for thousands of years. So I just think that's fascinating. And amidst all of this revival is where we meet our main protagonist, Joseph Smith. Would you like to tell us a little bit about Joseph Smith, Jack? Sure. So Joseph Smith was born in, I think it was 1805. Yeah, I think so. And he lived in sort of the northeastern United States. He lived on a farm with him and his family, and all of his family were very religiously active. They were all searching for the truth in their lives. A lot of them belonged to different faiths and thought different ways and were just kind of all trying to feel out what it was that they believed and all trying to essentially come to the truth. Mm -hmm. And this sets the stage for Joseph Smith because similarly, he wanted to know for himself which of all these churches and all these different ideas that were being spread around at the time which of them were true, which of them were false, and which of these churches that he should join. If I can actually interrupt here, I think this is great. This is also a quote from the Saints book. It's a little long, but I think this sets the tone for the type of parents that Joseph Smith had, which I am a huge fan of Lucy Mack Smith. She is, oh, she is a spitfire of a woman. I think I'd read somewhere in the Saints book, she was like four foot ten and full of the gospel. Oh, I love this woman. And his father is amazing. But I want to share this. 
Once, after falling gravely ill sometime before Joseph Smith's birth, Lucy Smith, his mother, had feared that she would die before finding the truth. She sensed a dark and lonely chasm between her and her Savior, and she knew she was unprepared for the next life. Lying awake all night, she prayed to God, promising him that if he let her live, she would find the Church of Jesus Christ. As she prayed, the voice of the Lord spoke to her, assuring her that if she would seek, she would find. She had visited more churches since then, but had still not found the right one. Yet even when it felt like the Savior's church was no longer on the earth, she kept searching, trusting that going to church was better than not. Like his wife, Joseph Smith Sr., hungered for the truth, but he felt that attending no church at all was preferable to the wrong one. Following the counsel of his father, Joseph Sr. searched the scriptures, prayed earnestly, and believed that Jesus Christ had come to save the world. Yet he could not reconcile what he felt to be true with the confusion and discord he saw in the churches around him. One night he had dreamed that contending preachers were like cattle, bellowing as they dug at the earth with their horns, which deepened his concern that they knew little about God's kingdom. Seeing his parents' dissatisfaction with local churches only confused Joseph Smith Jr. more. His soul was at stake, but no one could give him satisfying answers. They were a devoutly religious family. We know from Joseph Smith's accounts that they read the Bible many times. They would study it together as a family. Both of his parents really wanted to know the truth, and I think that really led to their son wanting to know about the truth. They were simple farmers. They were not from a wealthy family. They had staked all of their money and sacrificed to move to New York to find better working conditions. And very little education was available for them at the time. This was the time way before child labor laws where you had to learn. You could just gain the basic education and just keep working, especially if you were not, if you lived in poverty. Sorry for the interruption. I just kind of liked that little story of his parents. Oh, that was good. Thanks. Uh, Would you like to share what happens next? This is the missionary forte right here. This is the meat of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So as, as she was quoting, uh, there was a lot of argument and discussion at that time about religious belief. All these different preachers were telling people different things, right? Mm-hmm. So Joseph Smith, similarly to his parents, was wondering which of all these churches is true. So he thought about it a lot and he studied in the scriptures. One day he was studying in the New Testament and he read a scripture in the epistle of James. And I'll see if I can bring that up real quick. Mm-hmm. I will tell an embarrassing story about myself while you look it up to add some levity to the scripture. <laughs> I, when I was a little kid, I thought Joseph Smith was Southern because I didn't know the word lack, L-A-C-K, which is in the scripture he's about to read. I thought he was saying the word like, L-I-K-E, with a Southern accent. And I genuinely <laughs> thought, if anyone lacks wisdom, and I was like, well, I lack wisdom. Everyone lacks wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) This didn't get revealed until I was a teenager, which is so embarrassing. We had read the scriptures so many times, but (laughs) genuinely, I thought Joseph Smith was Southern for the longest time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is the kind of gems that listeners are coming for. So you're welcome. Mm. (laughs) Did you get the scripture? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I did. Before I embarrass myself further. Perfect. (laughs) Go for it. Okay, so this is in the first chapter of James in the New Testament in verse 5. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Upbraideth meaning, essentially meaning that 
God's not going to to find fault with reproach. Yeah, to find fault with you for asking a question. God honestly wants questions. People use the term blind faith a lot, but really what God wants is for us to to ask be, to be searching, to be searching for ourselves what it is that God wants for us. Uh, similarly to Joseph and his family were doing. And Joseph, when he read the scripture, he said, Never did any passage of scripture come with more power to the heart of man than this did at this time to mine. It seemed to enter with great force into every feeling of my heart. I reflected on it again and again, knowing that if any person needed wisdom from God, I did. For how to act, I did not know. And unless I could get more wisdom than I then had, I would never know, for the teachers of religion of the different sects understood the same passages of scripture so differently as to destroy all confidence in settling the question by an appeal to the Bible. He came to realize that this scripture applied directly to him, that he was in need of wisdom, he was in need of God's guidance, and he had faith that if he was to ask God, that he'd find it. Which is very impressive considering Joseph was 14. Is that right? At this yeah, time? I think he was 14. If anyone has come in contact with any 14-year-old boy, uh, they they kind of be dumb, to be honest. And that is massively impressive to me that Joseph Smith was already so mature and thinking about spiritual matters. I think it really reflects the way he was raised and the things that his parents thought. But that's just for someone with very, very little education. Um, and to be a farmer and to be so young, I just, it's incredible to me that this was a serious study in his mind. So I just wanted to emphasize that. I really admire Joseph Smith for that. I don't know what I was doing at 14. Not that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, he wanted to know, and he thought the best way for him to know was to pray. And he sought out a very secluded place, which is the case of many prophets throughout all the scriptures of you know, a lot of them would go to mountains to feel closer to deity. I think a lot of people, when they're searching for peace, they like to get away from the things of the world. And that's exactly what Joseph Smith did. He went to a grove uh, that was behind their property and started praying. You want to take it away, Jack? Sure. Joseph Smith talked about his experience, and I'll quote it directly, what he said about it. So he went to this grove of trees. It was just an ordinary day and i think it was in the spring mm -hmm. and he kneeled and started to pray it didn't go super well and, at the beginning <laughs> yeah it didn't go very well at the beginning he <laughs> was just feeling all this all this doubt all this fear he felt like some being was trying to stop him essentially and Which makes sense anytime truth is being revealed satan and his opposition fight hard against the people that have the most strength. So Joseph was crying for help to God. He was crying for God to save him. And just as he felt like he was about to be destroyed by this force that he, well, he had no idea what it was. All of a sudden he, uh, using his own words, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, 
whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Man, I I still get chills when I hear that. Joseph Smith, I I don't think, was expecting to be the instrument in the Lord's hand to bring about the restored gospel. I think he just wanted an answer, and I'm sure he wasn't expecting the answer that he received. Two very important truths that we learn from this very first encounter is one, that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are separate beings. There are a lot of debates in the Bible about whether they're the same, whether they're a trinity with the Holy Ghost, or if they're separate beings. And we've interpreted in the Bible to be one means to be one in purpose. And so that's already a pretty big deal, especially since I believe Lucy Max Smith was most drawn to the Methodist church. And I don't, I believe in the Methodist church that they believe in a, I don't know if I'd say Trinity, but that the Godhead was one being. And so that was already something I think that was shocking to Joseph. The second thing I love is the first word of the restoration of the gospel was Joseph's name, which I really just think goes to show that Christ and Heavenly Father know each of us individually and spiritually. They know our names, they know where we're at in our life, and they know the intentions of our heart. So I think even just within the very first few moments of this amazing revelation that Joseph received, that we've already learned two very important spiritual truths that will be recurring in Joseph's life. Yeah, this moment is similar to several instances in the New Testament where the voice of our Heavenly Father is heard and he introduces his son mm-hmm. and directs people to listen to him, to hear him, as really Jesus Christ is our way to get to Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. And what Jesus Christ said to Joseph or at least part of what he said, was that all of these different ideas and all these different churches that were at the time, they lacked the entirety of the gospel, that they didn't have his direction or guidance, and that they had their own ideas, essentially, Mm -hmm. and that they're not exactly uh, barking up the right tree with everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like that. (laughs) So... God tells him to not join any of these churches, but to wait, and that he would reveal Jesus Christ's true church to him at a later date, and he calls him as a a prophet. It's amazing. I really think this goes back to Joseph's circumstances, that the Lord often works with those who are unlearned and unwise in the way of men, because the Lord cares way more about the humility of your heart than he does the knowledge of your brain. And it's, I just, I don't know, it gets me a little emotional just thinking about how the Lord can make powerful instruments out of any of us as long as we come to him with a humble heart. He's got something for us to do. No one's too small for the Lord. And often those who are very knowledgeable in the scriptures, the, the Sadducees, especially in the Bible, the Pharisees who were supposed to know all of the knowledge, they allowed their knowledge and some desire for power to get in the way of actually learning the truth. I think that's especially the case with their oversight of not believing that Jesus Christ was the Savior because he didn't appear to them in the form of a glorious knight or someone who was militarily brilliant and ready to literally free everyone from their captives. 
He was there to teach peace and to spiritually release people from bondage so that they could find a remission of their sins. So it's just another testament to me that even though Joseph Smith in the history of the world could have just lived his life as an obscure, hardworking farmer in New York, that he was called because he had humility, which I think is really beautiful. The Lord has his timetable. He wasn't ready for everything to be revealed at once, um, which makes sense. (laughs) Joseph had a few things to learn first. He was still very young. And again, as I'll mention at the end of this episode, if you would like to learn more in depth about this story, I will leave links to where you can find more information on the church website. The Saints book is a very good material, volume one, especially as all the story of Joseph Smith and the early beginnings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Joseph was later uh, received the revelation that there were records that had been buried and had been preserved for thousands of years. And that book is what we refer to as the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. The Book of Mormon that he discovered was carved into plates of gold, which had been blessed to not tarnish over time. And so these words of God were painstakingly carved into plates of gold, which just thinking about it gives me a hand cramp. I actually... Do you, do you even like physically write on paper anymore, Jack? Because I feel like everything's done on computers now. <laughs> um, I avoid doing it as much as possible because I have really bad handwriting. Always have. Yeah. Always write really slowly. This is how I knew I was uh, going to go into healthcare because my handwriting is unreadable. But um, yeah, they didn't have computers back then. But he discovered a record of people. It starts with the story of Lehi and his family. Lehi was a prophet preaching the word of God, much like Jeremiah, in Jerusalem before the destruction of the Babylonians capturing all the Jews. The siege of Jerusalem is what that's called. And so this the story that it starts with in the Book of Mormon is around 600 BC and is the true stories of Lehi and his family. Lehi had a vision of the coming destruction of Jerusalem and was instructed by the Lord to take his family and leave into the wilderness and eventually to build a ship that the Lord would direct them to a land of promise. This land that they were directed to would later be known as the Americas, and we believe these are the first people of the Americas. From Lehi to Moroni, prophets kept records of the people, their peace, their wars, the teachings of Jesus Christ pretty much all the things that you find in the New, the Old and New Testament, they even quote often a lot of things of the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, who has so many profound preachings. But these people in the Americas were aware of the records of the Old Testament and were preaching under the direction of Revelation. And so these records were kept and preserved before Mormon's death. And the reason it's called the Book of Mormon is because there was a prophet, Mormon, who by the end of his days abridged all of the records. He reviewed all of these records that had been faithfully kept for, I don't know how long that would be, a few thousand years, maybe a thousand years. <laughs> yeah, um, I think about a thousand years. Yeah. And he abridged that. And so that became known as the Book of Mormon. But the most important part is another testament of Jesus Christ. The Book of Mormon includes stories of Christ coming to visit the Americas after he was crucified in Jerusalem. We know that Jesus Christ prophesied that he would teach to the Gentiles. There are many of those not of uh, not of this fold. 
And so this is another example of the loving nature of our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ to make sure the world was able to be a part of this, not just a select few in Jerusalem that were able to see the Savior, but he was a witness to people living on the other side of the world in the Americas. And so Mormon abridged and compiled these records, and these records were eventually buried in New York, which was where Joseph Smith was, another way of the Lord coordinating all these incredible details. But when Joseph Smith, he was instructed to unearth these records and to translate them and distribute them so that every person has a chance to be able to read the Book of Mormon, which is another testament of Jesus Christ and the witness of Christ in the Americas. Did I get that all right, Jack? What did I, besides the thing? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's all right. Ah, just one word. I'm just going to record over that. It'll be like the computer being like, and it was the gold plates. It'll just, it'll sound really natural because I'm a professional. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but most importantly was the priesthood authority that were given to prophets anciently was restored to Joseph Smith and later to the witnesses of the Book of Mormon. And he was able to restore the presidency, call a presidency, and call 12 apostles as the Savior did, and to be able to begin ministering the truth of the gospel, uh, the truth that the gospel that Jesus had brought on the earth and was able to be restored, which is super exciting. Do uh, you have any thoughts that you want to share about all that? <laughs> I've, t- I've been talking a lot uh, <laughs> because I have a manly voice. People don't want to hear me talk forever. It's fine. Um, <laughs> let's see. It's fine if that's, you don't have anything you want to add. But. <laughs> no, it's fine. I. What's really important to remember here is that we truly believe that this church, right, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is that it's a continuation and the same church, essentially, as church that existed during New Testament times that Jesus Christ established himself. Hmm. There are twelve apostles there were twelve apostles then, and there are twelve apostles now. There's the prophets, there's the priesthood, uh, God's authority here on the earth. All of these it's not a different gospel that's being taught right now in our church. We believe the same things that they believed back then, because we are receiving it from prophets and apostles. Similarly to back then, we're receiving it directly from the source. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we truly do believe, that God hasn't changed, that we can still communicate with him, and that he can still communicate with us, whether that be through prophets and apostles, as well as our own prayers and in God's different ways that he can communicate with us. He wants to communicate with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And he wants us to come nearer to him through these different means of communication with us. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I think there's often a misconception that members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that we worship Joseph Smith, we worship Brigham Young or Mormon, We do not. We revere them as prophets, but we worship Jesus Christ and his teachings. We are Christian in every sense. Really appreciate mentioning that. I found uh, this quote from Preach My Gospel, which is a handbook given to missionaries before they serve that they can learn the truths of the gospel before going out and preaching, which 
it's just amazing to me that 18 year olds are able to go out and serve a 19 year olds. I I used to think they were so grown up, but now they just look like actual children to me. No offense, Jack, but you're also young. <laughs> no, that's it's pretty accurate. It's pretty amazing. And even a study of the Saints book, oh my gosh, it just it's amazing. I, I really genuinely believe nothing but the hand of the Lord could have kept this church going because after the martyrdom of Joseph Smith, there was some confusion. Uh, the church almost fell into bankruptcy so many times. And yet time and time again, as the people lived faithfully, the extermination order on members of the church, losing their temple, just so many hardships. And yet the hand of the Lord was with this church and it's growing and it's it's amazing. And it's so so comforting to know the church is completely financially independent from any government. That's something I'm personally very thankful for um, as things get confusing. But it's just a testament to me that the Lord hallowed this work. Um, to share this quote from Preach My Gospel, I really liked this. Our invitation to you and to all people is to add to the truths that you already treasure. Consider our evidence that our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, have again reached out to God's children in love and revealed the fullness of the gospel to a prophet. This prophet's name is Joseph Smith. The evidence of this glorious truth is found in a book, the Book of Mormon, which you can read, ponder, and pray about. If you pray with a sincere heart, with real intent and faith in Christ, God will tell you by the power of the Holy Ghost that it is true which is how the Book of Mormon ends with an invitation to study these things out for yourself and your mind to ask questions. Questions are very welcome in the church. Our, our leaders often encourage people to ask questions. Faith doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to know all the answers in this life, but it is faith that we will receive all answers at some point on the Lord's time. The Lord doesn't always reveal things to us immediately, but because of Revelation, because of the Spirit, and because of the Book of Mormon and the Bible, that we can learn these truths for ourselves and to gain a personal testimony of Jesus Christ, which we have, and uh, which is why Jack has been so kind to be a guest on my podcast, that he could share his testimony. I really appreciate Jack for helping me out today. Yeah, no problem. This has been awesome. I love it. Do you have any final thoughts, Jack? I really appreciate you again coming on my podcast for me. Yeah, it's no problem. I just want to say that I've been able to find out in my own life just what I believe through searching, uh, through thinking about it, and through praying about it, similarly to Joseph Smith did. And just in my own life, I've read the Book of Mormon, I've tried to apply its teachings to my life, and I've, I've prayed about it, and I've watched dozens of other people pray about it, and I have received an answer that it is true that God is reaching out to us again, that we can connect with God today, and that He still loves us, He still cares for the people on the earth, and that He wants to grow a personal relationship with us. That through the scriptures, through the prophets, through the apostles, through His guidance, we can become closer to Him, and we can find peace and joy in our lives and out of this life. Thank you. I love that. I've already talked a little bit about my story, but I have found in my life that I haven't had a big revelation as Joseph Smith has, but I've had so many instances in my life that have added up to just build a foundation of my faith that 
there's so many tiny little things that I go, that is a, that is a miracle from the Lord. That's him reaching out to me. That's him talking to me, uh, feeling the spirit when I'm feeling low, a lot of, a lot of things that add up. And so I would encourage anyone who's, who's actively praying to know if this church is true. It may not come all at once. The answer may not be a big revelation. It may just be the small things that the Lord is reaching out to you. And so just encourage you if you are praying um, to start noticing those little things, start taking time out of your day to, to be quiet and to be able to listen to the Lord and to the things that he wants to say to you. But I absolutely believe the truthfulness of the restoration of the gospel, and it leads to so many wonderful things that I'm really excited to get into, but don't have time to today. <laughs> but that's coming up season two. I will go ahead and link everything that we've talked about in the episode description of the podcast and stay tuned for season two, where we get to talk about uh, covenants and ordinances of the temple. Uh, the first episode will be discussing how temple truths were restored through Joseph Smith's time, through Brigham Young, through Wilford Woodruff. It, it was a big learning process. God often waits for us to ask questions for him to reveal things. He doesn't just give it all to us at once, which I think is good because that would be like drinking through a fire hose all the time. <laughs> line upon line, as the scriptures say. And I think that's about all I had to say. So... Um, Jack, you don't know this. You're not here for my other recordings. I'm trying to figure out a good tagline to end my episodes with. And oh. the best one I've come up with so far is keep calm and temple on. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> um, Pretty dumb. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're working on it. It's a work in progress. A rhyme or an alliteration or something. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I will I will get that ironed out by season two. Uh so don't you worry, folks listening. That's that's gonna get it's gonna get better. <laughs> but I guess we'll end on that. <laughs> so um yeah, read your scriptures and keep calm and temple on and have a wonderful day. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>